On this episode, Superstar Jewel stops by. This is Gary Vaynerchuk and this is episode 237 of the Ask Gary V Show. And I'm excited, Jewel. I'm super pumped you've decided to join the show. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> uh, Jewel and I met the other day. We had a great kind of business chat and hit it off and mm-hmm. um, she went to the Knicks game yeah. and brought tremendously bad luck. That was the worst Knicks game I've ever been to in my life. That was not me. It happened <laughs> to be a star player that didn't show up and I didn't That's make true. him disappear. That's true. But uh, but uh, I was really excited to do this show. Obviously, you guys know I've gone to the call-in format on this show, but I decided for this we'll bring back the classic style. We've got five questions with Andy over here, and uh, before we get into the questions, mm-hmm. Joel, for the four people that may not know who you are, why don't you give a little context of uh, a little bit about your career and 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 who you are? Sure. My name's Joel. It's my real name. Um, these are my real teeth. Nobody asks me that, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. Um, I'm from Alaska. My family were pioneers. I grew up on a homestead, which means I grew up eating only what I could kill or can. So my fang came in really handy. It didn't, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, it taught me resilience. It taught me grit. It taught me how to grind. Um, it taught me self-esteem from the inside out, which is being able to understand that you're capable because you've been given the opportunity to struggle, which is a real blessing. And uh, I ended up moving out at 15, ended up homeless at 18, was shoplifting. Why'd you, why'd you originally move out at 15? My dad was abusive, and so I decided I would just live in a cabin by myself. Um, we'd been pretty transient, moved around a lot. Uh, and I'd been taking care of myself quite a long time, and so I wanted to do it on my own without somebody in the cabin. Uh, besides myself. So too young to drive, I was hitchhiking into work um, at a pretty young age, working multiple jobs. Uh, Where? In Homer, Alaska. And then I uh, got a scholarship to an amazing art school in a roundabout way in Michigan. Was able to graduate from high school, yay me. Um, most importantly, if I look back on my life, I knew that at 15 I should have been a statistic. I knew that girls like me, boys like me even, end up repeating the cycle that we're raised by. And I didn't want to be a statistic, and so my life's mission became this idea of nature versus nurture. And if you receive bad nurture, can you get to know your real nature? Mm-hmm. And how do you re-nurture yourself? And so my entire life's work has been that. My songs have been a side effect of that, and my next chapter of my life will be more about that. Yeah, and, and that next chapter, I think, what is what brought us to these two seats. Obviously, you reached out, and uh, and we we had a great talk, and I was completely blown away, honestly, after you left. I said to the guys, like, Wow, the entrepreneurial understanding, the emotional intelligence, so much stuff that, that you know, we come from very, we come from different backgrounds, we have different lives, but there was so much stuff mm-hmm. that you were talking about that I was like, wow, like I get it and like I believe in it. And um, I was really excited about the meeting and I think the self-esteem stuff, the internal emotional strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what completely blew me away and why I wanted you on the show as well is with all the things like meditation and, and emotional intelligence and a lot of the things that we clicked on, yeah. I was, and I, just, I want everybody to know, and you know I'm a tough ass filter on this, I was really taken aback by your know-how of the market and consumer behavior and, and business savviness and um, it was really interesting to me. Mm. Do, you, do you ever think of yourself, do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur at all? 
Yeah, I think I've handled my entire career very entrepreneurially. Uh, when I was homeless, I ended up homeless uh, for about a year when I was 18. I turned down the advances of my boss and when I wouldn't have sex with him, uh, he wouldn't give me my paycheck. And so I thought, no big deal, I'll live in my car for a couple months and I'll get back on my feet. Um, but then the car I was living in got stolen. And so that's how I ended up homeless. And uh, I started having panic attacks. I began shoplifting a lot. And I realized I was going to end up in jail or dead in short order. And more importantly, when I was stealing something one day, I caught an image of myself in the mirror and I realized I was a statistic. I didn't beat the odds. My goal at 15, three short years later. You were there. I was there. And so I remembered the saying that Buddha had said, happiness doesn't depend on who you are or what you have, it depends on what you think. And so I doubled down on figuring out what I was thinking. And Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. But if I could rephrase that just a little bit, I would say I perceive what I think, therefore I am. If you can perceive you're sad, you're something other than sad. If you can perceive you have anxiety, you're something other. We are the observer. That's an amazing thing. Yes. And so I began to develop mindfulness exercises to help me understand and have a better relationship with showing up now. Because fear is a thief, and it takes the past, and it projects it into the future. It and it robs you of the only opportunity you have to create change. And I needed to create change, or else I was going to go down the toilet. So I began developing these mindfulness exercises. What did you call them? Because the term mindful wasn't yeah. even really around then, right? What did yeah. you call them? Do you remember? I didn't have a word, and I didn't yeah. tell anybody about them. Right. I just did them. How did you know one. about it? Had you read something? Like, What impacted you at that early of an age to understand, to start... Uh, my slang term would be hacking the brain, like putting yourself in that mental place. I'm so, people always ask me so many things and I'm always stunned of how much it's so insular. Mm -hmm. I don't consume other stuff, I, I don't know, but it, it was so there, but how did you know that? Some of the things were just very intuitive. The exercises yeah. I came up were intuitive, but I read, I had a teacher that started getting me on Greek philosophy when I was about 15. Um, on the cover of my first album, I have a quote on the very front of it and it says, what we call human nature in actuality is human habit. I began to look at the idea that if my brain is addictive, can it get addicted to healthy things instead of negative things and studying habit loops and replacing negative behaviors with positive ones. So all these exercises I started developing for myself were strictly to get through my day, to manage my anxiety. Um, and they worked. And at the end of a year, I felt so much happier, even though I was homeless. And so when record labels started coming to me, I knew that fame... Why did they come to you? Did you have something pop? Like, was there anything that sparked the first batch of people coming to you? I got a gig in a coffee shop. It was going out of business. Um, in San Diego at the time, all of the coffee shops asked you to pay them to sing there, which was shocking. I grew up bar singing with my I dad. like these coffee shop owners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I grew up singing in bars with my dad where we got paid something. Um, and I so see. I was shocked in Southern California where they wanted you to pay them for the honor of letting people talk while you sang. Right. So I found, um, there was actually a woman who owned a coffee shop and I played there with my friend. He had a following. I didn't. And at the end, I went to settle out. And she goes, no, you keep the tip money. And I was like, what are you talking about? My friend just brought in 200 people. And she goes, you keep the tip money. I was like, oh, OK, that's fine. Why don't I keep all of your food and coffee sales? We'll swap. It's all good with me. She looked at me like, I do not like you. And she's like, you can take the tip money or leave. And I said, you can keep your freaking tip money. Mm -hmm. And I walked out and I cursed her. I, I didn't cuss, but I stuck my finger in her face. And I said, you're going to fail. I said, you're stealing from the people that are bringing You put her out of business mentally? I put her out of business mentally. <laughs> I am a witch. Sure. Yes. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> Exposed. Thank you, everyone. And, and. <laughs> and so no, but I told her bad. she was, she was basically bots. stealing from bad people bots. and that no, no artists would go, go there. Yep. 
So I found a coffee shop that was going out of business, okay. and I said, hey, before you close your doors, give me two weeks, and give me all the door money, and then you can have all the coffee and sales and food. And so we struck a deal, and I suddenly had to go out and get a following, awesome. and I had to write a bunch of songs, because I grew up singing cover songs with my dad. So I wrote and wrote and wrote, I handed out flyers, I hustled, I had two people in my coffee shop the first night. Of course. And I sang a five-hour set, and I sang my heart out. And what I learned is that I was very lonely, and a lot of people are lonely, and I deserved to be lonely, because I only told truth in one place, and it was in a notebook that nobody read. And I decided to take a risk and be vulnerable and talk about what was real and not hide from the truth. And so I poured all my feelings out in front of these two surfers, bless their hearts. <laughs> And By the way, if you're week. watching either one of the surfers, please leave a comment. <laughs> They're like, holy shit, I was that dude. Yeah. Um, and then the next week, four people came. The next week, seven. I played there every Thursday to try and have a very regular mm -hmm. time. Uh, and then after about a year, it was sold out, and people were standing outside the windows, standing in pouring rain for five hours, listening to me through a window. Cool. And a radio station put a bootleg of mine on the air. It ended up requested, and I got into the top ten countdown. Down top ten countdown on 91X in San Diego. It's one of the biggest stations in the country. Labels were like, "Who the heck is this girl on acoustic guitar playing between Nirvana and Soundgarden?" They all started showing up. So it was like being Cinderella. You know, so limousines cool. were showing up. Really? Yeah. And so you'd think I would jump at the opportunity to have a record label uh, or a record deal, except that I had just found happiness, and I was not going to give it up. Yeah. And fame is a path so many people lose their footing on. Yeah, it's happening to D-Rock. He's changing so much. He is. I just watched you know? him right here. Yeah, he's very condescending. He just like, stares at me. Yeah. So you were really trying to be careful. Yeah, and so I had to ask myself some very serious questions. Why am I doing this? It's very important to know. If you want to end up somewhere, you have to know where you want to end up. Then you have to have a compass of knowing how to navigate. So for me, is it an artist or famous? I know I wanted to be an artist. Nothing against fame, by the way. It's just which one do you want as an experience yep. for your life? I wanted to be an artist. So every day I made decisions based on being an artist, not being famous or rich. And, that's it. and the other kind of interesting caveat is I was offered a million dollar signing bonus and I turned it down. I had read a book called Everything You Need to Know About the Music Business and I learned that it was in advance and that you owed the advance back. I knew I was going to make a folk record at the height of grunge. I knew the odds of that working were incredibly slim. And so I basically bought my own right to make my own music and I negotiated the biggest back end anybody had ever been given in royalties and mechanicals. Same thing I did with Crush It. Nice, I love it. I didn't want, I, I, it's so funny. Yeah, bet on hmm. yourself. And 100%. so I grinded. If you're good enough, bet on yourself. Yeah. And I turned down reality TV shows and a lot of yep. shortcut things, but there's yep. no shortcut to being great. So I did 600, 700 shows a year and I did it for years and I grinded it out and ended up breaking through. But yes, I've always looked at myself entrepreneurially um, <laughs> to answer your question in a really it's roundabout true, it's way. It's great, it's really great. It's really, you know, it's funny, I'm sure these four and a lot of people watching are smiling because so much of what I've been talking about for the last seven, eight years has so many of these things. Something I saw on your wall is coming in um, was about how many people will come to your funeral. I've actually made all my decisions in my life, what I call my deathbed decisions. I pretend I'm on my deathbed, even when I was a young child, you know, 17, 18, and said, will this matter to me on my deathbed? Is this important? Is this the best feeling for you as the person that decided, like, hey, these two people, like, do you, like, are you finding a lot of gratitude? No, like, I, I are you, like, are that. you just, like, so pumped in the I last 48 hours? I knew the dude you were And it's rare to find people like this that care about um, living, like, deeply and meaningful in a meaningful way. And when I hear her talk and hear you talk, I love it. Yeah, it's one thing to have some philosophical things. It's another thing to have like the exam. Like these guys, I know. Like, 
Yeah, it's really cool. I'm really, really <laughs> glad I got to meet you. Likewise. Andy, let's do the first question. Cool. Carolina asks. Carolina asks, Jewel, why do you think so many people struggle to be happy? Because happiness is a byproduct, not an actual destination. And so people have uh, this misconception that they're going to find happiness like it's Europe, and then they're never going to move <laughs> out. <laughs> happiness is a byproduct of certain behaviors, and you can set yourself up to win, and you can set yourself up to be happy. The sad thing is happiness is a learned skill, and a lot of our houses don't teach happiness. That was the situation I was in, and so I actually just started studying people that were happy, and I saw what the algorithm was. What, what do they do that's similar? And for me, I don't focus on happiness as much as harmony. I don't really believe in the word balance because balance is a binary thing. It's like, oh, you, it's a very you know, tedious, like, uh. Harmony is saying my life has many components. I'm a woman. I'm a mom. Uh, I am sexual. I'm spiritual. I'm a business person. All of those limbs have to have tone, and that brings about harmony. That brings about satisfaction. If we only have one limb that is very buff and the rest of us is atrophied, we have disharmony and we have dissatisfaction. But there's no human school, and so that's what I'm looking at starting. I want to be able to teach people emotional and mindfulness skills so that they can grain, gain tone in every area. From my standpoint, you know, since Jewel took it up here, I will take it into one very narrow place that I've been really trying to spend a lot of time on, and that's perspective. It's so interesting to me why I deem myself happy because I just am so grateful. Mm-hmm. Like things like the thing we got excited about of you know the data, the data behind being a human being is 400 trillion to one. When you just start there, and you realize, forget about the odds of like beating homelessness and like other like or being born in a communist country. Like just actually becoming a human. Like like I always make the joke of like your mom could have had another glass of wine and like like or, you know like like or your dad could have been late and because of a trap. Like the odds are so insane. I'm just so grateful for what I have versus what I don't have. And I think people just have all these admirations and envy and all these mm-hmm. hard wiring things. To me, it's perspective. Just like there's, oh, I just genuinely believe there's always somebody that has it worse. And the problem is that's where I default into mentally and have practiced to put myself there yeah. versus somebody's got it better. And the importance of gratitude is I just. I, I do a gratitude practice every night and when you're grateful, you can't be angry, you can't be resentful, it literally just leaves no room for anything I'm, else. I'm just grateful, so. Yeah. All right, and? Cool. Alan asks. Alan. Yes. Alan asks, how do you feel the future of music is going to be? How and where do you earn most of your money? I'm actually very excited by the disrupt in the music space. It's deserved to be disrupted for really quite a long time um, and it's deserved to fail and I say that with all all kindness. Um, you mean the, the people in the middle having disproportionate economics? Yeah, if I could do a brief history of music. Um, musicians spent a long time understanding who they were as, and what they offered as musicians. People call that a brand now. But they were natural brand creators and so Led Zeppelin stood for something. You know, loving a musician was like an ethos. It was an entire culture and they were culture builders. And they spent years cultivating that culture on the road. Radio came along and it just super boosted things. And there was a really golden time there for when that happened. And then radio became so powerful, people realized, hey, I don't have to have a whole great record. I can have one good song. And then the record labels were like, and we can charge for an entire record with only one good song. And the consumers started going, hey, screw you guys. I'm getting ripped off. This is a sucky record with one good song. Went to the digital age and people could say, oh, good, I only have to buy one good song. But at first they were like, wait a minute, happened. Napster, I'm not buying shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <You> know? <laughs> and streaming. I don't personally feel that music will be monetizable in a very foreseeable way. 
I think that we should focus on musicians as brands and we're lucky enough to use music as our brand builder, as our calling card. And the future of the music business is learning to build brands around artists that artists get to have equity in. Yep. You know, obviously the monetizing of live events. I, so I think access mm -hmm. is where all the magic is because it's the limited resource, mm -hmm. right? So whether that means in a show or one-on-ones or the brands they touch. I mean, look, it's funny to hear you go with the brand move of the equity thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about the economics 50 cent made mm -hmm. on just as sponsorship deal of vitamin water, let alone what you're seeing now where, you know, celebrities and musicians are getting five, 10, 15, 30% of a business mm -hmm. before it launches on the back of their brand. It's a very entrepreneurial answer, but it's a truth. It's a race to the bottom of control of those economics. Yeah. Andy? Cool. Will asks, how does Jewel feel about social media access when it comes to celebrity privacy? That's a good one. I love it, I'm in control of it. Um, I've always really welcomed it. I've, I've lived my life with transparency. I hide nothing. Um, that said, I always honor the We love Jewel. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're giving all the answers that nobody, like nobody else says. Oh, really? Yeah, and what's weird is it's one thing for me to say it that came and grew from it. Mm -hmm. You were real, real famous when it came along. Mm -hmm. So it's an even more impressive answer. You know, I was the byproduct and benefited from the transparency and grew from there. Yeah. But for you to be where you were and love it speaks to that rare authenticity. Well, I also was able it's funny, I was putting a college textbook for one of the grass marketers mm -hmm. of, um, one of the four founders of Grassroots Marketing Online. It wasn't because sure. of me, it was my fans. Um, and it was the early days of the internet, but it was the reason I broke through grunt. But your, fan, it, your fans, your, it. I mean, I was there, I was doing the wine library thing, it's why I was so excited mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about this the other day. Like, your fans got there and gave a crap because of you, and then they took over. Yeah. When you, I mean, what my fans do now is insane, the level of love, but it starts with I love mm -hmm. them first. Yeah. You have to love them yeah. first. My music comes second, in all honesty. I think people, and what I've been, it's just been incredible. I have no middleman. I get to talk to my fans directly and tell them who I am. I don't have a journalist going, you know the truth about jewels, blah, 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 blah. And it's not true. I actually get to tell people what's true. I get to have that direct relationship. And not to mention, I should be a gift in, we're all a gift in each other's lives. If I'm not a gift in the life of my fans, I'm not doing my job. This isn't all about me. And so, the way technology has evolved, it's much easier for me to watch my fans, see how their families are doing, encourage them to be supporting one another. I love it. Amazing. Andy? I, I love it too. Loka App asks, does social media overall have a positive or negative impact on mental health? That's I a good question. That's a great that's question. That's a great question. Yeah, it's something you and I were talking about. I think that my job as an artist has always been to look at culture and look at zeitgeist. Um, where is culture swinging and where do I authentically intersect with that? For me, I'm, I'm great at connection and I love the technological age. I love how accessible information is. I love that we have education at our fingertips. Um, I love that it's disrupting everything. It does have the tremendous ability to cause a distraction addiction and we need to be careful with our children and with ourselves of how we consume. Now what does that mean? It's a very interesting topic. How do we consume in a way that doesn't hurt our mental health, that doesn't cause neural pathways of addiction and distraction addiction? Uh, and that's actually a very fascinating topic. I think the thing that a lot of people are talking about, Simon Sinek has a video that's going viral on this right now. I think the question becomes that we never do is what was the alternative? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one thing to say that we're addicted to this and we're spending our time on this. My question is that same human being 
what would they have been doing with this time mm-hmm. in 1989? Would they be addicted to television? I had plenty of friends who played 11 and a half hours of Nintendo. You know, we're, we're, we're deploying our angst against the medium and mm-hmm. we're not looking at the human being enough. Absolutely. Like, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of kids sitting in the room on their phone all day long creating Instagram accounts and doing stuff that would have been on the street doing something bad. Like, like this thought mm-hmm. that like it's all bad is very fascinating to me. Uh, I don't know, I am unbelievably pro-human being. Yeah. I mean, back to just data and behavior and patterns, like we're still here. Yeah. Like we've, we've had all the ability, like when you think about what we could be doing to each other mm-hmm. negatively, we have all the power, so much carnage could happen in one second and we don't. And so we, we are scared of what we don't know. And, and I think that, I think that um, I'm surprised by the collective cynicism yeah. of, the, of uh, the, the American market for sure around these technologies, but it makes a lot of sense to me because every time there is a massive communication shift, we are very cynical of it. Yeah, and we're frightened. We're scared. But what I love is the millennials already have the antidote. So they're already a product of the culture of being, you know, having the ability to do this and look at their screen and what are they telling us? We want experiences, we don't want things. That's the antidote. We get to get out and have experiences. So it's an antidote built. Guys, this is nothing compared to VR in 20 years. Mm -hmm. People are gonna sit in their home. They're never gonna see them again. They're gonna put their their contact lenses on and they'll be gone. This is I'm, 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 this is it. Like, be happy that they're actually out and about looking at their phone. Because they're going to be in San Diego in a pod and they're not coming out. Andy, I mean, really though, because, because by the way, the, to your point, and I see where you were going, it's why we've always loved reading books and watching movies. We need to escape for our mental health. That's what this is. It becomes the alternative universe. The much more extreme version of that is gonna be the virtual reality world when they can absolutely, in 20 years of technology, put in contact lenses and be somewhere. I would just add in caveat. Go ahead. A lot of people talk to me about mindfulness and you know, about being in your head. It's actually not about, we do need an escape. Yes. Our minds will run us, they, yep. they hijack us. Yep. And so a lot of us use escape so that we don't, so that we can escape our minds. Uh, I look at our bodies like an amazing machine. And it's an amazing machine. Our brain is actually not the driver, it's the steering wheel. So who's the driver? I think it's our observer. When we get so caught up in our mind, we're desperate for an escape. For me, that's where mindfulness tools come into play with how we interface with everything. You have to give yourself a break from your mind that's a healthy habit and not just constantly a distraction. Sure, just because you're so deep in this, this is what I want to ask you for me. I'm being, I'm being selfish now. I don't know the answer, I'm curious your perspective. I don't need an escape. Mm-hmm. I don't want to escape. Mm-hmm. I'm super duper pumped. That's good. Like I mean it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm even scared to do meditation. This is real mm-hmm. because I'm so happy mm-hmm. with my mental state yeah. that I don't want to do anything that rejiggers anything because uh-huh. I never need an escape from anything. Uh-huh. Like I'm super, it's true mm-hmm. and like I deal with plenty of stresses and things that nature. I don't know, I like yeah. it, it's fine. It's part of the, I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, I don't, I don't, I know you've been there, but I trust yeah. that you know yourself. Yeah, sure. and like, have you seen that? Like, how do you think about that? Um, it's just interesting to me that like, mm-hmm. I don't gravitate towards an escape at all. That's awesome. I don't wanna, I wanna stay in my head all the time. Yeah. It's cozy. Uh-huh. What's it like in there? Fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. and one more time. One last one. One last one, last <laughs> asks, what is one simple thing we can do to help stop the stigma around mental health? 
Well, that's taking it to a different place, right? Mental health issues versus meditation, but that's what he's asking. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, mental health is a really broad scope, so how would we define mental health? We could talk very narrowly um, about something, anxiety, something a lot of people, it's the number one thing I hear people talk to me about, anxiety. And I think that's a mental health issue. Um, and I do think one of the best antidotes to anxiety for me when I was having panic attacks and, and anxiety bouts was learning to be mindful, which was just learning to be present right now. And I did it by following my hands around in the day. <laughs> and it let me not worry, basically, because I was forced to be present. Uh, and so it was actually a really profound tool for change for me. Can I interrupt I you for one second? gun debates. Yeah, go ahead. Before we get into guns. Yeah, before we get into guns. <laughs> And I've done, by the way, I've done an incredible job not interrupting. I know all of you watching. <laughs> I've crushed it. I've crushed it. Are they commenting? I crushed it. Biting nails. Mm-hmm. I, now the freaking, you know, I have every, like, I'm so curious what, do you have, do you know anything about, like, is you looking at your hands similar, like, is biting nails something that I'm, like, I listen, I've got you, she knows her shit. I'm excited here. Do, what, biting nails, do you think that's a, that's a move? Do you have any idea? Like, the way you did that, Mm-hmm. Am I so at peace and pumped because I bite my nails all the time? Like I'm trying to figure out what that means. Like, do you bite your nails all the time? Yeah, when I'm when I'm really in like an interesting spot. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I my guess is that's how you're handling a type of anxiety. You're gonna yeah, think and you're gonna figure things out, and that's your way of doing it. I don't know if you're mindful while you're doing it or if it's an absent no, distraction. No, definitely not mindful. Yeah, I'm just not. I'm just like, wait a fuck. I'm eating my hand. You know. Yeah. Okay, keep going. So Gun that's control. Yourself. So mindfulness would be, oh, I'm eating my nails. Yes. Get curious about it. Just observe it. Yep. That's mindfulness. Got it. And it takes you from being, you know, hijacked by your brain yep. to going back to being the driver. Yeah. I'm in control of my brain. Cool. Yeah. I feel you're like biting it. your nails and you don't know why. I'm not sure that you are. Well, I respect that, but that's only a micro <laughs> one example on a macro level. <laughs> anyway, I'll get to know you gu- guns. Guns. <laughs> I think guns are a mental health issue. I get you. Um, and in so a big I way. think it's a in really a big, important big thing big to focus on. Uh, you know, learning to calm our anxiety, learning about mental health does nothing but help our entire culture in a multitude of ways. And so I would encourage both sides of the aisle to start looking at mental health, mindfulness, mental health solutions, um, instead of talking about highly polarizing things. Look at the deeper cause. Talk about. Do you think there's a stigma around those solutions? I do. And I often have people say, like, why do you, how do you talk about all this? Isn't it scary? And I look at them and go, have you ever not felt anxiety? Jealousy, fear, like, is, is, am I inventing a new emotion somebody's never come up with? No, I don't know why people don't made, talk I think about we've made it. Enormous progress in yeah. the last half decade. This was not even being talked. Uh, ten, yeah. 10 years ago, this was zero. I did a pre, pre tape interview for the Today Show, and we were talking about the movie that's coming out, and she said, I looked at your website. She talked to me about mindfulness the entire time. That would not have happened to never, me five never, years ago, never. two years ago. Never. I was flabbergasted. 100%. I yes, totally I said agree. flabbergasted, two points. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me two seconds about this. When did this come out? What's the basic theme? And let's link it up. Thank you. Yeah, this is Never Broken. It's my memoir. Um, people always ask me how I went from an abusive background to moving out at 15 to being homeless to being okay. I didn't have access to therapy. Um, I didn't have the funds or resources. And so I figured things out. And I wrote it because I want everybody to know that happiness is for everyone. It doesn't depend on the right husband, the right spouse, the right house, the right anything. You can literally do it when you're homeless. And I wanted people to know that. It's awesome. And my website, jewelneverbroken.com, shares very small, doable mindfulness tools that you can incorporate. Jewel, every time we have a guest, they get to ask the Vayner Nation a question. Mm. And then we get thousands of answers in Facebook and YouTube. How cool. So now putting you on the spot, which, because I wasn't, 
I was pretty confident you're not a regular Ask Gary V show watcher. <laughs> what question do you have that you'd like to get answered? Maybe you get some feedback or you get some interesting insights to something that might be on your mind. Yeah, I would love that. Let me think about it. Um, my assumption, without doing a ton of research, is that everybody's very interested in personal empowerment and entrepreneurially manifesting their dreams. Would that be accurate? Yeah. So I guess I would ask you guys, I am in the same situation. In the music industry, there's a tremendous shift. And when I talk to most of the record business about building uh, equity around myself, around my ethos and my messaging, most people look at me kind of like I'm crazy and say, why don't you go on the road? Uh, so. Whatever you guys know about me, I'd be very curious what your entrepreneurial business ideas are for me. It'd be fun to learn. Awesome. Thanks, Jewel. Thank you. Thanks for being on the yeah, show. Yeah, I enjoyed it. You keep asking questions, we'll keep answering them. I am going to start talking like him. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs>